The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Well, again, if I missed you earlier, my name is uh, Stacy Croft, and I'm the pastor here at Christ Pres Music Row. And uh, it's encouraging to be able to walk up to... Um, this platform, in a sense, and uh, after a song like that one, because <laughs> it's not about me and it's not about you. And yet this morning, what we've, you've heard hopefully over and over is that the vision of what the Lord is doing uh, connects not only to Him vertically and who you are as a follower of Jesus, but how it connects to you horizontally. That no matter where you are on that spectrum, everything you do looking upward always looks outward. And as a church, we want to encourage you and inform you of, hey, this is who we are and this is where we're going. And that we're not doing it because uh, it's all about us, but Lord, we're following the one who has saved us, who's rescued us. You know, um, I don't know if you've heard of a man named Jack LaLanne before. I've asked a couple of you this question. Jack LaLanne in the 1950s was what CrossFit is now. Uh, you know, and you always know the joke of, you know, somebody who's into CrossFit because they let you know they're doing CrossFit really quickly. Jack LaLanne in the 1950s was someone who was uh, really incredibly into fitness. And, and legitimately, if you look him up, he was the guy doing pull-ups. He was the guy doing push-up. He was doing all the exercises where, like, you should be doing this in your workout. He was doing it then, and guess what? People scoffed him, and they made fun of him. And they said, who's this guy who's kind of a meathead? Like, he kind of works out a lot. He kind of cares too much about that. Well, well guess what? We're doing all his workouts now. <laughs> but one of the things that I thought was interesting that Jacqueline Lane said in the 50s, and I think it's interesting, is he said this. He said, there are some people who are about the hereafter, what's to come. I'm about the here and now. Some people are about the hereafter, but I'm, I'm about the here and now. We've been looking at the parables, and I'm about to read you a parable. But what Jesus is trying to do, and as we kind of come in for a landing on the parables, is to say, how does the hereafter connect to the here and now? That it's not just one or the other, that they go together. That the parables are illustrations that the Lord Jesus was trying to give in the Gospels. If you're unfamiliar with the Gospels, the, the narrative accounts of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that provide these stories that he's trying to help the disciples, the religious leaders, crowds, just even like this one, to, to give illustrations of the kingdom of God is like this. So that they can know, okay, wait, how does what you're talking about with our relationship with God connect with what we actually interact with day to day? That we feel difficulty. We feel marginalized. We feel pain. We feel joy. We, we go to work. We come home. We, we maybe go to church on Sunday regularly. How does that connect? What, what is that connection? And so I'm about to read for you two parables that maybe even be familiar to you. 
that Jesus gave to say, this is what the kingdom of God is like. Of how we can get discouraged sometimes of going, how does the hereafter connect to the here and now of what I see? Because isn't this an old book? I mean, if you think about even what we're doing right now, even sitting here, we come together weekly. Maybe you come together every week or maybe you open it up at home to read and look at a book that is of ancient origins, to talk about a man of ancient origins, and yet there's such a profound impact of what Jesus said, what the Bible is really saying for us that connects to every single thing we're doing now and what's to come. So hear this from Luke chapter 13, just a couple verses from verses 18 to 21. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. I want us to look at just a few characteristics of what Jesus is trying to get across in these very short parables to us. The first is that in these two things, the seed and the leaven, these very small things, is incredible significance. In fact, most of the time when you think of the word kingdom, you probably don't think of these two things. You think of something big, you think of something powerful, something that that moves and is established. And yet, in these two small things, a seed, a mustard seed that is, and leaven, which you can hardly see, they create and move in and are incredibly significant. And, And I want you to think for a second about the first century hearers here and what they were probably realizing especially even the disciples in that moment, were thinking, we've been following this man for some time, learning teachings, learning, okay, about the hereafter, learning about the Lord, our relationship to the Lord, and yet how it connects. But how do we actually see the kingdom move? And in their time and day, they felt incredibly insignificant. You can kind of see portions of this in the Scripture. When people see them or talk about them and they go, Gosh, why are those people following Jesus? Aren't they uneducated? They don't have the the posterity of of those who went before. They they haven't gone to school for this. And yet they're the disciples. They're the apostles. They were seen as insignificant. They felt insignificant. It was a, a time when Rome really ruled the day. Everything was run through Rome. All sorts of life, politically, socially, and and economically and otherwise. So for them, it wasn't even their own land and country. They didn't have that freedom of, of thought. They felt like, what impact can I really make? Ever feel that way? Ever feel sometimes it's like, okay, what does this matter? Where, where does this matter in the here and now? Where does my significance really lie? 
even just today, to a friend of mine who's, um, who was preaching at one point, and, and he said, the grammar of our current day is just steeped in significance. The language we use, the way we talk about ourselves, the way we talk about things, everything is to have such great significance, and yet we feel exhausted. And we feel like, what impact does it make? And we feel apathetic underneath the current, and yet everything is to be important. It's all to be important. We are important, but why? We're steeped in that significance. One of my favorite movies is Chariots of Fire, a movie it was written a true story based on the 1924 Olympics of two athletes in particular, Harold Abrams and Eric Liddell. And uh, you see their lives in parallel. One of the lines from Harold Abrams, one who Harold Abrams would claim who is not a follower of Christ in the movie and, and it as well in, in real life, this is true. And Eric Liddell, who was a follower of Jesus and, and, and shows his missionary work following, struggled with that question of how does not just the Olympics, but the time that they lived in the UK, economic and otherwise, how does it provide significance? And Harold Abrams, who gives one of the most realistic pictures and quotes of this as he's saying, this event is going to provide me, his working out, his getting to that point. You see him at the 20, 1924 Olympics in Paris, getting his massage, getting prepared to run the hundred which was his race, and this is what he says. And now in one hour time, I'll be out there again. I'll raise my eyes and look down that lonely corridor, only four feet wide, with ten lonely seconds to justify my whole existence. But will I? Will I? It's not just... In the first century, it wasn't just before that, it's, it's our century. It's our time. We, we look at whatever that is in front of us and say, will I? Will I be able to justify that? The kingdom isn't, this kingdom is not about proving your significance. It's knowing that it has significance, even those small. Things that we don't see. Ways that we would think, and it, that's why it comes opposite of what we think. Instead of strength and power, it comes in weakness. It comes in humility. It doesn't come with the right quip that we can lash back in on Twitter. It doesn't come with the right answers all the time. It doesn't come with us having the right positioning or the right place. It comes with us being humble. And yet, what God uses in ways that we wouldn't expect is the smallest and the littlest of ways to show significance because we don't have to prove it. The difference between Christianity and any other philosophy or religion is that there's not a necessity to prove your significance in that. How does this change is because the one telling the parable shows us exactly what it comes through. Jesus comes in a way as a peasant, as someone who even when they said he comes from Nazareth, they said Nazareth, and they literally said this out loud in the Gospels, nothing good comes from Nazareth. And yet what would transform us to know that we are so small, so little, 
in this world, in our impact, which is true, what we feel, and yet so valuable and profound and loved and cherished is to know that the creator of this world, who has no limits on time, who holds all significance, yet comes to show us how significant we are. That is his kingdom. And yet the smallest of this creates the largest of life. It permeates everything. Notice the second thing here. He even talks about leaven in verse 20. To what should I compare the kingdom of God? It's like leaven that a woman took and hid three measures of flour until it was all leaven. It permeates all things. This kingdom is small, but it gets into the places that we would never expect. I'll tell you what, after being in a flood and watching other communities flood, I am still, two and a half years later, finding rust and mud caked on things in my, in, from my uh, house. A year after even the flood hit our neighborhood and other places, I would open things and water, standing water, would still be in little pockets where it could be found. <laughs> in places I would never expect. A toolbox that was, I thought would be tightly sealed. A, a, a part of, of a little a, a place in, in, a, in a kid's dresser. Places where mud, even in my mailbox, still every day I go to my mailbox, I open mud, all still there. Muddy mail. It permeates everything. What this is showing us is that not just as a tree does it come externally and show, but internally. That does the kingdom of God, and what it does is it permeates every portion of your life. As we even heard this morning, it, it permeates your family life, your relationships, your connection. Your bank, it permeates places that we, we have a hard time even talking about. Bank accounts, bedrooms, our lives. That the kingdom of God is something that's, that comes in small to show us what it's for to transform it, not just to tell you how you should do things, but to show you how life really works within it. Because what does the leaven do? It actually brings the bread to where it's supposed to be. It brings it to rise. Just the small measure of it that you can't even see creates the taste and the goodness and the, and the bread that would supply even a whole meal. That's what the leaven does. That's what the kingdom does. It comes in those places that you would never expect. And it's not just in the places that you do expect. It's for us to ask, hey, and I, I think I want to throw this question out to you. Where do you tomorrow, even walking away from this lawn today, ask the Lord to show you, where do I see and try and prove my significance rather than know there is the kingdom? And where does God's kingdom need to permeate where I would never think it would? Or think it should? And tend to that growth. Where do we, in, where as a church, and, and you know what the church is to be, is to manifest the kingdom. The church is to be an expression 
of the kingdom of God? Where do we become cultivators and bakers of the seeds and the leaven in every part around us so that we as a church manifest what God is showing? And you know what's the hardest part about in both of these is the patience is the waiting, Tom Petty said it best, the waiting is the hardest part. The waiting is the hardest part. Both of these things, it's not like, and most of the time we get an option of this, right? We get to actually see on a video camera when they put it on something, like there's a camera on me, and and some of you may be doing that right now. Some of you probably do. Listen, we have that option now of putting sermons on, you know, three. We're going to put it on 2.5. I don't need to hear it all. I'll just hear it real quick. <laughs> How do I get past this quick? Can we do it right now? Stacy? could you just do 2.5 right now? We want to move quick, but what is a seed? A seed takes time. To get to a place where it has branches that birds can nest in it, it's not overnight. For leaven to permeate and get into bread, it has to go What? In, be kneaded in first before it even gets in the oven and then bakes. It calls us to patience because the seed may be external growth and the leaven internal growth. But here's the thing. If Jesus died to change the world, how did he do it? How did he do it? Listen to what Henry Nouwen, who's a great author, said about this. He said, waiting is essential for the spiritual life, but waiting as a disciple of Jesus is not empty waiting. It is waiting with a promise in our hearts that makes us already present what we are waiting for. We wait during Advent, that is Christmas, for the birth of Jesus. We wait after Easter for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And after the ascension, when Jesus rises again into heaven, we wait for his coming again in glory, and we are always waiting. But it is waiting in conviction that we have already seen God's footsteps. Look, that is exactly what this table is. This table is a perfect picture of significance. It is the smallest taste that you get of the grandest of meals of what God is doing. And it is a taste, right? It's a taste of the leaven, of the, of the permeation of what God is doing. And it permeates into you. Not just out there, but God permeates in you. And what he's doing through the patience, his patience in you, is to thoroughly transform you. Not just to be better. Or to be perfect. But to look like the one who came to give the parable. See, again, the significance of what we're talking about today isn't a go do it, go take that mustard seed and plant it, leaven it up. (laughs) It's the fact that Jesus himself came. That we're merely tenders, we're tending a garden that he's already planted and watering and he is growing even as we speak. When you taste this, who set this table? Who gave himself, not just bread and wine, but who gave actually his body and blood so that there is nothing that even can come against what may look so insignificant, so hidden as leaven, and yet so powerful to grow that 
Even the birds nest in its branches. That the kingdoms nest in its branches. That the leaven will permeate this world. That thousands of years later, a a peasant from Nazareth is one that we are saying is the Lord of heaven and earth. Not because we figured it out, but because he came to us to permeate our hearts. So that we can come to this meal and know that he has come to us and made us significant by his love. God, through his son Jesus. So let's stand together.